Hello, everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Annie. And this is Gail. This is Heroes. And Zero. A true crime podcast. I love it. Me too. Hi. Hey, Annie. It's so exciting. Yeah. We're back in the pod lab. Back in the pod lab. We took a week off. Um, And... uh, we are excited to be back. So, yeah, Annie, are. your voice still sounds a little raspy. A little raspy. Yeah, it is. It's it's better. I was told I sound more human. I think you sound sexy. Sexy. It's sexy. <laughs> it's sexy. Well, we're going with we're going to go with that I know. as opposed to in as opposed to inhuman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, it's uh for our listeners um First of all, we usually record in the afternoon and mm-hmm. we are recording in the morning. Yeah, so, so if it's different Less energy, more energy. Worse, better. Let me know. Yeah. Let right? her know. Let us know. Exactly. We're excited to see what it will be like. Yeah. Um, and um, <clears throat> we're recording me? on a different day. We are. So yeah. Everything's we, a little wonky. It huh? is. We usually record on Wednesdays. We had a big storm last night. Yeah. And we decided it was gorgeous and sunny yeah. Wednesday. And we haven't had a lot of sunny weather. I don't know no. where you guys live at, but... Here in the Midwest, it's been a lot of rain, and then you have one sunny day, and then more rain, and then one sunny day. So we took advantage of the one sunny day. I'm really happy that our plants are looking better, but Gail, are you a little tired of the rain? A lot. I'm a lot tired of the rain, too. You're right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and my plants actually look like they might be drowning a little. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. God, it's time to (laughs) cease the rain. Here's the deal, though. I do love, as many of our listeners maybe have picked up, that we live on a lake. And I will say, I love knowing that the lake is getting filled and the ponds are getting filled. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So we got to have that. I agree. So here we are. And um, going into our next episode today. So I'm excited because here it is. We're recording in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I get to sit back and just listen. And relax. For the first story. Yeah, this is this is a case that I had never heard about. And it's not grim, gory details. Like I know some of our listeners get a little squeamish and they can't listen to yeah. some of it. And that's 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 fine. Um don't need to listen to what makes you uncomfortable. But this is But we ask you still subscribe. Yeah, please. <laughs> Help us keep going. Absolutely. Now, I got to say, though, right when you said I go, I get to sit back and listen today and just enjoy, I thought, uh-oh. The last time I sat back and just listened, I had just told Annie this story that somebody had given me a visualization and it really was like, sit back, relax, close your eyes. You won't fall asleep. Da 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 da. And they kept saying it throughout. You won't fall asleep <laughs> and within 10 minutes. She's snoring. <laughs> so I think they were trying to make you. I know. I wonder that now. Anyway, it wasn't that kind of thing. But um, I won't fall asleep. I promise you that. Right. And listeners, we're going to, I'm going to make the effort um, to get us up on YouTube with just, um, it won't be videos of us, I don't believe, just, but anyway, look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. And subscribe there, follow whatever yeah, you do. I oh, think. and Apple Podcasts. <gasps> I accepted us. I know. Yeah, so. Is that like a big deal? I don't know. I I thought we already had Apple Podcasts, <laughs> to be honest, until <laughs> I got the email, and I'm like, oh. I didn't know we didn't have Apple. All right, podcasts. wherever you listen to Apple Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, we kept saying that. Yeah, and yet now we really are. It well, is really is wherever it, you w- listen to yeah. your podcast. Because I guess there are so many platforms, and some of them I've never heard of. But um, I guess Apple was a big deal. So yay! 
Hey, that's a celebration. I know. We're not even into epi- 20 episodes. No, no, not yet. Hey, do we not have a clap anymore or anything? Thanks again so much. Nope. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> we don't. Damn it. <laughs> We're going to get one. Uh, well, congratulations to us. We'll be drinking champagne, I'm sure, soon. All right. All right, Annie, let's get, get started. Going? So it's not as gory. It's not as gory. And no. All right. What it's are we, a little, what is it's a little haunty. Oh, I love that. So tell mm-hmm. us, what is the story Okay. Called? It's um, about Iowa native Norman Baker and the Crescent Hotel. Ooh, I already love it. Number one, it's Iowa, so I yes. love that. And then number two... It's haunting. Crescent Hotel. Yeah. Okay, go for it. All right. As the sun sets on the horizon in the periwinkle sky, a plague of vultures, or buzzards as the locals call them, in beautiful Eureka Springs, Arkansas, fly over the stately haunted mansion, the Crescent Hotel. It's considered the most haunted hotel in America. To what? This, to this day, countless studies have been done, and yet no scientific answer can be given as to why the birds are so interested in this area. But the locals have a good idea. For decades upon decades, stories of the Baker years have been told. Since there were no living eyewitnesses, these stories have been nothing but mere legend. That is, until recently. In February of 2019, a landscape artist stumbled upon a cachet of over 500 glass bottles buried behind Eureka Springs, Arkansas's reportedly haunted Crescent Hotel and Spa. People wearing hazmat suits cordoned off the area to be sure that the public was not at risk. These bottles appeared to contain tumor and tissue samples and other human remains that were preserved in alcohol. Other bottles were filled with a toxic green or crimson red liquid. These were thought to contain a tincture that was once marketed as a cancer cure, formula number five. The unearthing of these bottles have stirred the supernatural beings into actual overdrive. So much so that in 2019, Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures show came to record the notorious hauntings of the Crescent Hotel. Then most recently, the Smithsonian Magazine featured a full article on Norman Baker and the Haunted Hotel. Who was Norman Baker, you might be asking? Legend has it, Muscatine, Iowa native Norman Baker inflicted cruel treatment upon his patients, which were hopeful to being cured from cancer. Instead of receiving legitimate treatment and medicine, unfortunately, Dr. Norman Baker, though, was not a doctor. He had no medical degree, and in fact, he had dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. But what he was, was a con man that was in search of fame and fortune, which he acquired, unfortunately, from the demise of others. Legend says that skeletal remains have been found where the hotel's walls were remodeled, and jars of preserved body parts were also hidden within the hotel. But let's get started back to the beginning, back in Iowa. Yeah, because I'm so, I have so many questions already. Okay. I, I could see them flooding behind your eyeballs, <laughs> wanting to pop out. <laughs> Norman Glenwood Baker was born November 27th in 1882 in Muscatine, Iowa. He was the last of eight. I also read the last of 10 children. Parents were John and Francis Baker, and the parents, I think, were considered successful. John operated the first sheet iron and boiler factory in Muscatine. Mom, Francis, was a poet, and she wrote short stories. Norman's father was very inventive. He had over 100 patents in the pearl button industry, 
and the machines and the mechanisms that were used. John also developed the canning machinery and owns over 126 patents of his various inventions during his time. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Very um, well inventive, but uh, ambitious is the word I was looking for. John operated Baker Manufacturing Company in Muscatine. I have no idea. I wanted to look it up, but it kept popping up with other information. If Baker, we hear the Baker Group, right. Baker, Baker Mechanical, Electric. Baker, Baker Electric, et cetera. I just wondered if there are any correlation uh, yeah, of them. Norman was described by people that knew him as an entrepreneur that was friendly, persuasive, intuitive, and a natural-born leader and very intelligent. He loved life and had a way with words, but he did not like being told what to do. He quit school in the 10th grade. In the meantime, he worked in machine shops, which provided him with the basic knowledge of the air calliope. Keep that in mind. Okay. Air calliope. Remember the calliope, the whatever. No, I have they're, no idea what calliope and, means. Okay. For future employers. <laughs> <laughs> if I part am of the, pretty intelligent. She However, is, honestly. There are a lot of things I go, what? I think of I think of do 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 these little pipes that kind of go oh, up yeah, and down like an organ pipe type thing. Yeah, like, yeah, but but they, but they used um, I think. Uh, Could you do that again? Steam air. Again? Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it all left me. Okay, you're cute, Gail. Okay, so he say that again about the air. He it, it provided him with a basic knowledge working in all these machine shops. Okay. I guess he was a tramp machinist, and I was trying to look that up what that meant. So tramp machinist it gave him knowledge of the air calliope okay which was a musical instrument where i think they use steamed air okay all right that's a great explanation okay okay we'll keep that in mind all right and his life would change though when he saw a professor flint in a vaudeville show he was called it, at that time they're called stage mental shows it's sort of a performance that features the power of mental suggestion uh-huh. <laughs> kind of like what you're listening to. Right, that I fell asleep on. And he became obsessed with it. He had worked as a barker, which I didn't know that oh, yeah, called that, yeah. in a circus promoting, promoting a two-headed calf and other oddities. Absolutely. Yeah, they're I called a barker. barker is. See, yeah. Calliope, you knew. Ah, barker, and barker. Come on in. Come on in. See the world. Oh, I thought weirdest. you were going to say Bob Barker. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> no, but that's probably that where works. Bob Barker got that. Come probably. on Probably. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> in 1904, he started his own mentalist act since vaudeville was like all the rage and he wanted to mimic Professor Flint, but he had a twist. He had a mind-reading lady that he named Madame Pearl Tangley. Pearl after the buttons that his father was responsible for. I wondered that. Yes. His acts were successful in Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio. His stage name during this time was Charles Welch. He reportedly toured with his troupe for 10 years. After some time, he replaced the first Pearl Tangley with another lady, Teresa Pinder, and she became his wife. The show continued with this Pearl Tangley until 1914 when they returned to Muscatine. So they traveled around That's awesome. Illinois, Iowa, Ohio. Around 1914, Baker developed the first um, Caliophone. It was called the Tangley Air, I think it's Tangley Air, Cal I've heard it pronounced Caliophone and Caliophone by two separate people okay. that were interviewed in something. So, to me, it looks like Calliope, but with a phone. So, I'm going to say Calliophone. Norman and Teresa moved back to Muscatine. Her father moved in with them, and he was a preacher as well as an organist and a piano organ repairman 
and Teresa played piano. Okay, this is all coming together. Kind of coming together for him. He wanted a musical device to advertise his vaudeville shows since they were so successful. But there were none on the market except hand organs and electric bell instruments. Because what he wanted to do was put that on top of his car and drive around. Must have been like, I don't know, it said car. So what the first? What were the first cars? Model T Fords or something? He must have had one. And according to Alvin Winston in the book, Doctors, Dynamiters, and Gunmen, it was noted. He had an inferiority complex, so he wanted to demonstrate his aptitude in music. So he had actually no musical education. So he pretends a lot. And I think he's very convincing. Absolutely. He sounds like a, I mean, a true barker. It a reminds, true salesperson of a really being able to sell themselves on anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that movie? Was it Leonardo DiCaprio based on a true story of a, of a guy that flew airplanes? He pretended to be a doctor. Oh, And he yes. was just some young kid. I don't remember who was in it or what I it's thought called. Tom Hanks was in it. And but I yes. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout it, history, there have been people who have fooled a lot of people. That have been that talented mm-hmm. and, and had a way with words. Mm-hmm. His brother, Norman's brother, still operated the machine shop, which Norman had interest and an inter- which Norman had an interest in. I can't sp- spit my words out. Sorry, people. So Norman would loaf around the machine shop and ponder and tinker, and then suddenly he produced what he named at once the Tangley Air Calliope, played with air pressure instead of steam. His father-in-law helped. His goal was to mount it on a car to advertise his show. So he consulted with Fred Manhart, who considered, who who he was considered the music man of Muscatine at the time, regarding the number of notes that should be used. And at least thirty were recommended, and the resulting number, however, was forty-three. So you could have forty-three notes played on this air Tangley Air Calliophone. Okay. I think that's interesting that he said he was the music man of Muscatine, Iowa. For our listeners, Muscatine is in the south. East part? Yeah, one of my friends from from my hometown. Hi, Renee. It's from there. Awesome. Yeah. And um, yet Music Man, the musical Music Man, was actually based upon also an Iowa town. (laughs) An Iowa town that is 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 north of us in Mason City. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's interesting that they use that term. Yeah, it is. There you go, listeners. Did you know that the Music Man musical was based here in Iowa, in Mason City, Iowa? Oh, yeah. So that's why they probably used, he was the Music Man of Muscatine. Ah, look at that. Look what we're, I'm learning today. I know. Well, I mean, we're learning a lot. We're (laughs) sharing. While Norman was tuning his calliope or calliophone, calliophone, nearby companies would hear it. And they wanted one for themselves. The initial price then, which was $500. So that was what, in round 1915? Wow, that's a lot of money Yeah, in for back then. By 1929, the price was $1,064. <gasps> what would that be in today's money? I looked it up. I think it was $9 million. No way. Mm-hmm. That's some fucking inflation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Okay, so we just stopped the recording for a minute for two reasons. Number one, we needed to look up what is the inflation on this. And we now see it says how Six, much? 16207 <laughs> We may be a little off. 
<laughs> again to any future employers. Don't hire me if you want my math skills uh, or memory skills. I always say that. No one has ever hired me for my math or computer skills. Um, I did look up something and it did say nine million. I know. Million. It I doesn't know matter. It Bottom line is, I don't think it's 16, what was it? 16,000? It's got to be more than that. A thousand bucks back then? It's mm-hmm. got to be more than that. Well, again, we would love our listeners to tell us. Um, like, here, dipshits, let me tell you what the inflation <laughs> number is of what it would be today versus 1914. Yeah, just yeah. tell us. Yeah. So we'd, we'd love you to remember. You can email us. Um, yeah. We'd, we'd love that. Now, the other reason we shut it off is all of a sudden we had um, panels dropping on our head. <laughs> Our, our uh, what are they called? Uh, acoustical soundproof. tiles. Yeah, our soundproofing yeah. Um, started jumping out. So anyway, so we're good there. We're, you know, obviously they're soft. We're in no trouble. So, we're okay. Nice. So there was the, the obviously, no matter what, we know that if it was $1,000 in 1920 something. 1929. Or, yeah, 1929, the price was okay, 1064 so That's a lot of money. That's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that around the Great Depression? Yes. Yeah. So um, the first sale, though, was to a Patterson Carnival Company, a carnival, a That's circus. Awesome. Perfect. So yeah. So he began building calliophones out of or calliophones out of Newell Barn on Mississippi Street in Muscatine. The Muscatine Chamber of Commerce then asked Norman to drop out of the vaudeville business and open up a factory in Muscatine to build calliophones. He did so with the chamber arranging for a building for him to work in. Thus, another new business was born for him. Soon he had a small business with seven men, plus his wife, Teresa, as a secretary. It was the, with the Cliphon that he made his first million dollars back in 19. Well, I bet when you're charging a grand back then. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. Muscatine had to really kind of like him because yeah. he was bringing a lot of industry and business right. into their town. Yeah. And in 1916, though, Norman and Teresa amicably divorced. And in 1920, a fire destroyed the business that Norman had as his caliophones. Oh. And he was devastated. So he wandered around the nearby buildings, I guess, during the days following the fire. And he came across an artist who was tinting <laughs> photographs. In 1916, as I said, Norman and Teresa divorced, but they remained friends. So she's, I still think, supportive of him and his businesses. Okay. And in 1920, then, a fire destroyed the um, his caliophone business. And we wondered, I wondered, as Gail did earlier, okay, well, wait a minute, in 1929, how come it was this much? And then he ended up making his millions. Well, he ran across, while he was wandering around looking for a new building, he ran across an artist that was tinting photographs and stuff. And he decided that he would pay this guy five bucks if he would show him how to paint and tint photographs. So, Oh, yeah, because it was black and white then. Yeah. You didn't have color. Okay. So this... And, and and he wanted him to show him how to do still lifes with oil paints. Oh, okay. All right. So. Well, that's a talent. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to pay just... you five bucks to teach me. Okay. Well, Let's good see. golly. Well, this was the start of another business for Norman, a mail order art business. He had students buy an enlargement of one of Norman's photographs that he had. I don't know where he purchased them, if he took them himself, as well as other framing and art supplies. And he called it the Tangley School of Art. He had no art education whatsoever. I love that. I know. And it prospered across over three years, making 75 grand. And he had nearly 3,000 students. Again, not bad when it's the that early in the century. Yeah. During those three years of, of operation in the art business, his uh, Cali phone business recovered. And he was able to build, rebuild the Calliphone 
factory from the prophet. I keep vacillating back and forth from okay. Caliophone to Caliophone. Sorry. So that's where now it, it became a value of over a thousand dollars because he right. rebuilt the. Okay. He rebuilt it. Right. So nineteen twenty four. Oh, and then he built, and then he made a million dollars. Right. Yep. Oh man, and but he had already divorced Teresa. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, she was. So pissed. that's probably why she stayed friends with him. <laughs> oh, gonna, she did. That's yeah, right. Yeah. In 1924, and it looks like we're okay. We're, we went to 1929 to 1916, 20 now 24. Norman approached the Muscatine Chamber of Commerce. So he has a lot of a lot of hands in different fires. Yeah. You know? He approached the Muscatine Chamber of Commerce with ideas to build a radio station. He had promised to, quote, lift Muscatine from being a little burg lost in the Mississippi cornfields to a city the whole world would know about. The chamber agreed, and KTNT was formed. And it stands for Know the Naked Truth. Oh, I like that. In 1925, KTN stood for Know the Naked Truth. TNT was the naked truth. And they thought it was interesting that TNT represents dynamite in many people's minds. But to Norman, it was referred to him as the naked truth. The radio station was allowed 500 watts of power, but Norman consistently and illegally broadcast at 10,000 watts. In 1928, he was allowed 10,000 watts, which meant his signal could reach well over 1 million homes. He began broadcasting on Thanksgiving Day in 1925. And why would he do this, you wonder? Like, aren't you busy enough? Well, the station was built on the highest hill in Muscatine, and it was reported that, I guess, when inspectors would come to town, he would dial down his wattage back down to 500, just to make sure that he's not breaking any federal regulations, even though he was granted 10,000 watts. I don't, maybe it was for a short period of time, you know, maybe just on Friday nights or, you know, whatever. He also began broadcasting, though, anti-Jewish pro-Hitler comments. Ooh. Yeah. Again, aiming, and he was aiming at the medical establishment. He had a problem with the American Medical Association, and he thought doctors were quacks. And so he used his platforms of the radio station, at least, in the beginning, as for his opinions. And for all our young listeners, you have to remember, there was not TV, and right. radio was the way to get your information. And so, mm -hmm. and there weren't a lot of radio stations. No, no. So when you have someone speaking the untruth, what, and you know no better, mm -hmm. oh my God, that. That's scary. And obviously he thinks his opinion is And some truth. people would say, that's today too. Um, <laughs> I wondered why you were giggling and laughing. Know, right? You right? had a thought in your in your head. So um, very interesting. Now, I just got to say, I love that the naked truth or yeah. know the naked truth TNT. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I bet one of, I, I, that would be a great podcast. Mm -hmm. The naked truth or know the naked, I mean, that's mm -hmm. a good yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. To just talk about right things, but for him it was just his opinion. I know. Yeah. I would love to share my. And opinion he made all up facts left and right. What'd you say? Sorry. I'd love to share my opinion all the time. <laughs> <laughs> True. Who wouldn't? I know, right? Oh my gosh. I know. I always say that. Hey, by the way, if you're in sales, I always say that. When you're trying to sell someone, don't sell it to them. Instead, say, would you try this out? I would love your opinion. Because who doesn't want to give their opinion? True. Done. Um, 
Done deal. All right. I'm there's, buying it. There's my uh, <laughs> free advice for today. Okay, so going back, he's doing the Naked Truth, and on the radio show, he first of all, he thinks doctors are quack, which, remember, he mm-hmm. pretended he's a doctor. Later, so, he does, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that's interesting. Number two, you're yeah. right, medicine was very early, and you have to remember, Western medicine had been around for years, and yet we were fighting with that fact of... Is Western medicine work, or are we now mm-hmm. going to move into this new medicine, which at the time did seem very mm-hmm. quacky-like? Right. Um, well, the United States, the land, the territory was conquered, taken, taken from Indians who didn't have Western medicine. They did a lot of spiritual healing um, herbs, you know? Right. Holy right. Op- That's what I'm saying. Is holistic that, types. Of- is that called Western medicine, though? What? Isn't that called Western medicine? I didn't think so. I thought it was. Maybe it is. Well, well once again, like a, don't listen to this. Don't worry. We're not going to pause employer. it and look it up again. And we're not going to look it up. But you guys tell us. That, exactly. We'll look it up later, too, All right, if you want. So go ahead. So he's, All right. uh, he's uh, so slamming he's, the medical establishment. He's, he's pro-Hitler. Yeah. Okay, so this is where he turns. Because so far, I've been like, I kind of like I this kinda guy. I kind of like the guy, yeah. Apparently, he was, you know, he was a pretty uh, charismatic type of guy, too. So, uh... Let's see, since Norman was anti-big business, anti-government, anti-AMA, he used his radio station as a platform for lambasting the American Medical Association, as I said, the Aluminum Trust, and Wall Street. As I said earlier, broadcasting anti-Jewish, pro-Hitler comments, uh, that to me makes my heart hurt, my stomach turn. The station's popularity, though, grew, and the attacks and the, on the prominent people in the established organizations also grew, and then he was starting to earn distrust among the local listeners. I bet. Yep, and soon people are going to turn against him. Baker would invoke horrific images of physicians as pedophiles, asking listeners, well, why, why do doctors vaccinate young children in the leg rather than in the arm like they do adults? He asked, is it not a fact that they like to feel the legs of these innocent little girls? Is it not a fact that many of these men just use their profession as an excuse to fondle and gaze upon the new parts of innocent children? Ew! He yeah. said that back in 1920s? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Baker then also entered the general merchandising arena, and in 1929, because he had all this money, a catalog illustrated most everything a person could want in the late 20s. It had 36 pages that were printed and included things like food, clothing, life, plants, bedding, anything. In the late 1920s, Norman Baker began using the radio for promoting now cancer cures. He is all over the board Hold in on, promoting I know. I'm everything. going back to the catalog. First of all, I'm impressed because, yeah. no offense, if you have a catalog of 36 pages, somehow you have manufacturers or relationships with people who can get you the product. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. That's and a I'm lot sure of you could order the Caliophone. The Caliophone. I'm sure you could order pearl buttons. Um, like I said, his father had all these patents on mechanisms and machinery used to make buttons. So I don't know. That's all I found that was in the catalog. Interesting. Interesting. So who knows what all the things you could buy. Okay. And then after the catalog, what? After the catalog, then he uh, started using his radio station for promoting cancer cures. Oh, and chances are they're not cu- they're not correct. The AMA lobby uh, from with the Federal Trade Commission, he had some things to say against them. And in June 1931, the radio station was forced to close. 
on June 5th, 1931, and the business climate in Muscatine dropped following that closure. So we will we'll come to the point of where and why he thinks he has a cancer cure. Okay, so I just want you to know that you don't mess with the Federal Trade Commission. So no. I work a lot on FTC rules and what you're breaking and not breaking. Uh-huh. They can be pretty strict. And so mm-hmm. once you get on their bad side, good luck. Good luck. After KTNT closed and was off the air, Baker then just moved his radio station to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, and formed XENT, which were big in broadcasting in 1933, and then it closed in 1937. So don't really know much about what was going on during 33 to 37. Apparently, it's not relevant to the And story. I wonder if he moved to Mexico for a while or something. Yeah, yeah, he did. Interesting. Yeah. So, The Naked Truth, now he has a new magazine that introduces Norman Baker in April 20th, 1929. I just got to say, I'm a little fascinated. We go back to this, and I know I kind of stop our stories sometimes. Oh, that's okay. But sometimes I go, okay, so Rabbit holes are he good. went to Mexico. Like, good golly, let's all think about that. You couldn't fly to Mexico. You didn't have fast cars. Mm-hmm. To get all the way to Mexico from Iowa. From Iowa. Would have taken months. Yeah, because I, I don't know how fast a, um, unless he took a train. Either way, it would take crazy. a while. Okay. Yeah. So, um, this magazine, he used it to promote his medical attacks. One of the first that was in the articles was on aluminum metal that he claimed to be the cause of cancer. The magazine also contained guest articles on subjects that were agreeable. You know, he had people that uh, agreed with him okay. that he would promote, put in the articles in the magazine. And um, editorials and advertisements and helpful hints for the homeowner. That's kind of what his magazine I mean, really, it's, I'm laughing because it's kind of linked in now. Here's some tips, oh, yeah. here's some ideas, and, mm-hmm. and then my friends endorse me. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please, come on. One of the Naked Truth articles was the September 1929 edition called Coffee Poisoning by Aluminum by Dr. Charles H. Betts. Hang on, guys. I feel like we get a little... Something's going on with our cords. There we go. Good deal. Okay. Sorry about that. Nope, it's okay. Um, I was wanting to find my place here. Um, by Charles H. Betts on Coffee Poisoning by Aluminum. And the Power of Mind Over Body by N. Is Tangling. there aluminum in coffee? The, I think they kept them in aluminum cans oh, to distribute okay. them, kind of like we do. I've heard the same thing about sodas can cause Alzheimer's and possibly cancer. And I've heard that about plastic if it's set in the sun, your water bottles. Oh, yes, I have heard that too. Microwaving in plastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not Now, I'm going to also do the plug, though. Not for good plastic. I mean, there's right. companies like Tupperware and Epicure that have right. really good plastic products that yeah. are meant to go in the microwave. Right. We're, We're talking your better tubs, your Cool Whip tubs. Those are great. The ones that use is probably recyclable plastic. So Those it's, plastics cannot go in the microwave. They will leak degrade. out toxins. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Scary. Yep. yep. So, so there again, another tip for our listeners. Uh, yay. You, you thought you were tuning into True Crime. University Jeffrey. <laughs> But I don't know what stuff means either. So. <laughs> well, neither does Weaver University. I wouldn't go there. Norm, guess who Ann Tangley was? And uh, the writer, it was Norman Baker. Mister Tangley says that oh, it's quoted in the in his magazine. Mister Tangley writes from actual life experiences and mind 
with the mind over body article. The power of the mind over body. So it's the him article. writing the it's, article. It's really him, but then it's he's writing about Entangly. Oh, he he learns this from he knows this from actual life experiences. That's interesting. He's such a bullshitter. In November of 1929, a lot is happening in 1929. Baker also opens the Baker Muscatine Cancer Hospital, later known as the Baker Institute. This was a feat in and of itself, as he had only a 10th grade education and no medical degree. He hired local physicians who then became loyal to him at this uh, hospital. Mm -hmm. According to an internet article called Soak Your Spokes, he had a <laughs> Soak Your Spokes. He had a secret cure which had been given to him by a South American witch doctor. The secret cure consisted of watermelon seeds, clover seeds, corn silk, carbolic acid, and water. Baker then goes on to name this concoction formula number five. Oh. Formula number five would be injected into patients. He would repeatedly advertise that, quote, we cure without operations, x-ray, or radium, unquote. In 1929, he and Dr. Charles Ozias, O-Z-I-A-S, Ozias, yeah. Ozias, who was operating in the cancer hospital in Kansas City, they both offered jointly to treat five patients free of charge to see if Dr. Ozias' cure would work. Formula number five would work. The reports were then offered to the public in his magazine and indicated that all five have improved. The fact was, they all eventually died. The formula was, was what was used then at the Baker Institute. So he would say, people are surviving when actually they just die. Right. But no one knows better because there's no internet, there's no cell phones, there's, you know, nothing to really communicate. Or they're communicate. not willing to fact check or watch other stations. <laughs> there, there is just not. And he, I'm like, wow, our world hasn't changed, guys. Listen to what we're saying. But at least we can have more sources. We do. We, Whereas we he had a have, radio station. Right. And people, unfortunately, closed, didn't have... Well, I mean, look, back when I was in high school, I mean, I know you too. Mm -hmm. We were still looking up things on an encyclopedia that was yeah. 10 years old that, yeah. and going to the library with books that were years and years old. Mm -hmm. So, Or listening to people that said they knew what the hell they was. were talking about. Yeah. And then that became fact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, um, at the AMA then per pursued a vicious attack on Baker, calling him a quack, at which time he sued them for $500,000. Apparently, at one point in the trial, Baker was cited for contempt because he brought a revolver into the courtroom. Holy shit. Uh-huh. <clears throat> this was the first time that the American Medical Association was making a case against quackery. Baker lost the case, just so you know. Baker referred to the AMA as the American Meat Cutters Association, as well as the American Mummy Association. He once said that MD stands for more dough. Even though it was medical doctor and American Medical Association. He, he thought that um, them wanting to use radiation, x-rays, surgery, drugs, was just making, I suppose, zombies, mummies. Yeah, yeah. And cutting them up and, you know, do surgery. He had no idea what he was talking about. He just wanted to get people to accept his formula number five as a cure for, wow. for cancer. He had, he had some weird thoughts, apparently. The trial was followed by an arrest warrant that was issued against Norman for practicing medical medicine without a license. And that was at the same time that his radio station, KTNT, was forced closed. 
I remember when I said that he went to Laredo, Mexico, where he started his new radio station. He had also started his cancer hospital. So those two things, the, the hospital and the radio station, were then closed. So now he's really feeling shunned by Muscatine, Iowa, and Iowa in and, in and of itself. But he wasn't, he wasn't done yet. It was, um, he came back to the U.S. after he left Mexico. And in 1932, he unsuccessfully ran for the governor of Iowa. <laughs> I had no idea. He lost that election. And then he left Muscatine and Iowa permanently. So, Eureka, here he comes. Eureka okay. Springs, Arkansas. That's why I was wondering. When you said the word Eureka Springs in the like, beginning of the story, I'm like... Right. I didn't know we had a Eureka Springs in Iowa. In Iowa, no, that we don't. Sense. So here's what I will say so far about Doctor or not Doctor Baker. Um, <laughs> his first name was Norman. Norman. Norman Baker. The non-doctor Norman right. Baker. Right. Mm-hmm. So I will say, um, minus his crazy thoughts, mm-hmm. um, his shady behavior, and his shady behavior. I would take his energy in a minute. I know, right? I mean, he does. There's two people that come to mind immediately. I had a former boss named Kurt. Shout out, Kurt. Okay. Um, and Kurt literally can go from business to business, totally different industries. He's CEO of an industry that was completely different from his last industry. It's just amazing what this guy constantly has going on. Yeah. And constantly does then the other person reminds me that makes me want to go take a nap right now i know (laughs) annette and she'll know who she is too so annette uh hey annette so um (laughs) i don't know yet but annette does annette lives down in arizona she does more in one hour than most people can do in like a year oh my gosh (laughs) this lady is non-stop on the go entertains does parties, does this, does that, sells this, sells that, has a full-time job, has kids, grandkids, you name it, and it's so much I want to know how. What makes those people different? I know. Is it brain chemistry? And I think I have energy, and I think I have motivation and determination, but they have more. (laughs) I want more. (laughs) I need more. So shout out to the Annette Kurtz out there, minus the shady, weird behavior. Yes, right, correct. So in 1937, Norman moved his cancer hospital operation to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, where he leased the Crescent Hotel. Today, this is considered the most haunted hotel in America. Ah, uh, so he he leased the hotel to be the hospital. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. And he renamed it Baker's Cancer Curing Hospital. Of course he did. He remodeled the grand old lady of the Ozarks by painting his penthouse and office, as well as the grand lobby, at, which is a massive fireplace, Purple, the color purple. He wore white suits and purple suits. He loved lavender silk shirts and ties. He was a little eccentric. He drove a purple uh, convertible. He would have loved Prince. I know. (laughs) You are so right. In fact, his bizarre obsession with purple earned him the nickname the Purple Man. I think that's so weird because I was just about to say, is the fireplace in lavender or is it in deep purple? Is it a raspberry beret color? Is it... Raspberry beret. Is it, you know, what color of purple? So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I kind of, again, there's things about this guy I really like. I know, right? <laughs> I think that's why um, the story has been, especially since 2019, talked about and covered because he was eccentric. There were some good parts about him. Unfortunately, there the bad parts were so horrendous that... You know, it's hard to forgive him. 
So uh, he arrived in Eureka Springs and paraded around town like a demented cartoon character. He drove a purple convertible and wore flashy lavender silk shirts and ties. He hung machine guns on the walls and installed secret passages for him to escape in case the American Medical Association enemies would attack. The author of the book Quacks and Crusaders <laughs> by Eric S. Junkie wrote, Baker had told his employees that he would make a million dollars out of the suckers of the state of Arkansas. Nice. Shouldn't have said that, dude. At the time, 1937, Eureka Springs was depressed financially with no tourists and very few businesses and lots of empty buildings. So initially, the Eureka Springs community backed Baker with his cancer hospital endeavor because it was, it was good for the town. Baker's own brochure noted, we are just like one big family living in a mansion, like plain folks. He advertised far and wide, bringing thousands of hopefuls on their last leg, their last breath, and sometimes their last dime. I was just going to say. Mm -hmm. One such unlucky patient was Lulu Tunis. Tunis? T-U-N-I-S. Lulu Tunis. Or Tunis. Her and her husband, John, decided to visit Dr. Baker's castle in the air and see if his miracle drug could do what other doctors said could not be done, cure her from cancer. She was dying. A very charismatic Dr. Norman Baker met with a couple and quickly calmed their fears. He assured them that he had 100% success rate, 100% success rate. <laughs> I didn't say sex rate. <laughs> success rate. And that he was waging a self-proclaimed war against the American Medical Association and even claimed that the AMA offered him $1 million for his cancer cure so, they, so that they could keep it off the shelves and force patients into drugs, surgery, and other forms of treatment. That was a lie. Lulu's husband, John, left, believing his wife was in safe hands. Unfortunately, Lulu finished treatment, went home to her husband, and was dead by Christmas. Unbelievably, Lulu was one of the lucky ones, though. She got to die in her home. Most of the other patients would die at the hands of Baker. For patients that were suffering from a brain tumor, they were wheeled down into the basement where their skulls were opened and the paste made from Baker's concoction would be smeared into their brain. When the patient died, which inev inevitably they did, their bodies would be whisked away in the dead of night to the incinerator where they would be forever disappeared. Where they would forever disappear or be forever gone. <laughs> and he probably could be able to share with their families that, of course, not everybody makes it. This was an anomaly. This usually doesn't happen. You would think so. What he would say is, I sent them home. They were cured. Oh, shit, you're kidding me. No. no. Wait a minute. So then people just think their family members just disappeared? They feel so damn good, I'm going to go to Mexico. Uh-huh. Who knows what they thought? It, 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 we'll that get is so sad. Wow. No living patients ever saw this happen because they were told to all stay in their bedrooms at night and rest so they could recover. Unknowingly awaiting their turn. Right. The demise of his patients didn't thwart Norman, though. When asked where the patient was, he would gleefully reply, they're cured, and they sent, were sent on their way to whoever it was that asked, whether it be another patient. Um, I think some of the staff knew, but not all. He had a few loyal people on, and one was called Nurse Theodora. Patients would continue to die, and their bodies would disappear. He would just hire more staff, collect more money, and became ever more paranoid of the AMA. So as he's aging and getting more confident in what he's doing, 
he's becoming also more paranoid. And some patients claim that Baker's paranoia was so extreme that he hid machine guns in the walls to protect them from his enemies. Reportedly, Baker waited until after 11 p.m. when patients are required to be in bed and sleeping to have all the patients removed that had died that day and taken down to the incinerator. No one living would ever see them being removed. He also noted that there were six to eight active undertakers in town during this time. The con artist, non-doctor, I like to say, had the reputation of a maniacal narcissist even during his own lifetime. Usually they can talk about I you like believe. that when you're dead. Yeah. The details that led, that led to so many patients' death is really largely unknown. Myths and folklore abound. What we know for certain is that for two years, Norman Baker operated a blatantly fraudulent health clinic where cancer patients were led to believe that they were... receiving legitimate treatment. Most likely, be, this is because the patients that were dying were bad for morale in a place that guaranteed success. So, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to advertise, well, people were being, sometimes if the person didn't die, but they were close to death, he would send them home so that they would be miserable and dying, but they would die at home. Right. So that's was bad for his hospital, you know. Bodies were stored in the basement until they were removed, usually under the cover of darkness. And there is a cold room down there that made refrigerating bodies practical, and it remains there to this day. The staff calls it the morgue. Absolutely. To avoid depleting morale, there was a wing of the hotel that was called the asylum, where dying patients were sent. So if they couldn't send them home, if there was not a home to be sent to, their screams of agony were explained to patients as a symptom of madness. And it's all because they were just dying from the agony of having a terminal illness, which in which they were receiving a phony treatment. And then I've had a, immense some, pain. I think I've had five, six people, seven, eight people in my family, in my husband's family, and maybe even more than that, uh, die of cancer. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm, on both sides. A lot in my side. Um, obviously, they were dying from their terminal illness. So rumors of strange experiments and family members that were not coming home began to spread. And Baker found himself in a pool of litigation once again. But he was no stranger to the law. When he was run out of Muscatine for practicing without a license, he served then only one day in jail. So now the AMA is saying he's doing it again. He set up shop in the Ozarks and he's running the same scam. So the AMA and the authorities were not about to stand by and let this quack lure more innocent victims to their death when they could be receiving legitimate care and possibly survive. Many cancer patients could have possibly survived had they been given this legitimate treatment. So the AMA fought hard to bring him down. The federal law enforcement found something that would stick mail fraud. He had sent postcards and brochures through the U.S. Postal Service touting his cure for cancer. He was arrested and charged. During the trial, it was known that at least 44 people died, according to death records, during Baker's time at the Crescent Hotel. During the 1940 federal case against the charlatan doctor, at least 100 people testified that their, beloved, that their loved ones died shortly after leaving the Crescent Hotel a.k.a. Baker's Cancer Curing Hospital. From John Tunis's testimony, she took the needle treatments, 
She told me it was awful, that five or seven needles a day were stuck into her, and they would hold them there until the medicine ran out. She said it didn't do much good. She said she wanted to go home. She said that she was getting worse. She was in terrible shape when she left the Baker Institute and went down in bed right away. Norman Baker was found guilty of seven counts of mail fraud and arrived in Leavenworth Prison in January 2000 or 1940. <laughs> I was in, wondering. I know. My my comma didn't get put in. Leavenworth Prison Jan, on January 20th, 1940. He was sentenced to four years and a fine of $1,000, a pitiful penance for the torture that his many patients went through. Hundreds of lives were lost, and they had not... And had they not been falling for the hollow words of a con man, they might have lived longer. When he was released, he moved to Miami, Florida, and lived out his life on peace, in peace, on a yacht. Yeah, a thousand bucks when you sold your little musical instrument for a thousand bucks. He kind of he kind of uh, made lots of money on the backs of people. Yeah, just by it scamming goes back them. to, you know, I think that we all always need to remember to trust our gut. We and to remember to not believe everything everybody says. I mean, to this day, there's still people mm -hmm. running Ponzi schemes. Right. Right. So my a family member was just contacted yesterday by someone saying that their son, her son's, my nephew's uh, social security number had been used and accounts opened in Houston, Texas and across the United States. And that there's an, a warrant out for his arrest. And, oh, God. And that's when you just hang up the phone. And that they're going. Well, the thing is, there was al there's always already been discussions with the IRS about the stimulus check and how a one of the tax accountants said, I think his uh, social security number has been used already. Oh, no. So they said, oh, we're going to send the county sheriff and someone else out and with a, a warrant for his arrest. So pay us 400 bucks and then we can make this go away, basically. And we're like, uh, just try showing up with your... I'm right, a exactly. That's just a total it, so phone that's, scam. So that's of 2021. So imagine how vulnerable people were that had family members, loved ones dying to cancer, no. that were already went through all the treatment that they could and thought, my, maybe my family member will know. live. When people are desperate... They're desperate. I know. That's it. I know. To this day, there are countless sightings of the spirits that wander these halls. Oh, this is where the ghost story comes in. Okay. One reoccurring paranormal encounter is that, and I don't know where this comes from because it's just haunting, a group of children are huddled under the morgue's autopsy table pleading for help. Many people have seen that. According to Troy Taylor, a professional ghost expert wrote in his book, The Haunting of America, an apparition that is believed to be Baker himself has been spotted around the old recreation room near the foot of the stairs going to the first floor. Those that have seen him say that he looks lost and he will first kind of go in one way and then another just pacing back and forth and they say it's as if he's trapped in the hotel praying for forgiveness of his misdeeds that were committed so many years ago the crescent hotel has current owners marty and elise ronig r-o-e-n-i-g-k okay it's a strange spelling so ronig ronig have added that there are regular sightings of Nurse Theodora pushing a corpse-laden gurney down the hall at night, its wheels wiggling and squeaking loudly, only to vanish into thin air. She is also often seen near room 419, which they now call it, known as Theodora's room. Some claim to see many of his victims roaming the halls, including Lulu Tunis, Tunis and countless other apparitions, many of whom their names are not known. Interest in the paranormal activity of the Crescent Hotel has drawn more than 15 national and international television production companies to visit. Two such noteworthy programs are the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures and the Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters. You, too, can visit the Crescent Hotel and take a ghost tour 
or even spend the night, if you dare. Okay, so... That's it. Wow. Okay, so... And remind me at the beginning, though. Mm-hmm. They, you said they found a bunch of bottles, and and that's... 2019. That, that is the four... That's the four... Or Formula 5 that they would have found. And some of the, the tumors that they would remove. You. Mm-hmm. I just... My confusion on the ghosts of the children... Were there children at this hospital, too? I don't see record of it. I haven't read it. I'm sure there are lots of books out there that maybe there's a case where someone brought their child that had uh, leukemia. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, the fact that there's well, many you know, people see that. Uh, you know, I they just didn't talk uh, about again, it. Again, I'm always trying to part of what I always do in life is try to connect <laughs> the dots. Right. Mm-hmm. And in business. And. So when I hear a story or the hear that there's people saying that they're, they've seen visions of little children under the autopsy table screaming for help. Mm-hmm. And then I remember that in his radio show, he talked about all the doctors that were pedophiles. Right. And so a lot of times did that, was he that person again, Makes who sure. knows what was going on with this man? Yeah. I, and so this... He had a he had a very firm mask of what he wanted people to see, because nobody living, I believe, even Nurse Theodora, didn't see bodies being thrown into the incinerator. Oh, really? I'm sure Norman Baker himself threw them in there. There is a historian that knows more about him than anybody else, and um, I haven't read a book of his yet. But you know, there's we could put it in our sources. We or could put it in our a sources link of exactly. What it is. So, but um, apparently. It's a pretty cool place to visit. And this is Crescent Hotel. Uh-huh. And it's now a hotel. It's no longer a hospital. So they put it back to a hotel. Right. And is In it, Eureka Springs, Arkansas. In Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And I will include the link to um, how you can get in there to, to visit the hotel, making a, a reservation wonder, to spend um, the night. I'm really curious if their fireplace is still purple. I don't know. Something tells me no. I don't know. I don't know if, you know, I'm sure that it's it's famous because of this horrible man and and what he let his And so lots of ghost stories in that hotel and I know a lot of people love to stay places where it's a little scary. Yeah. So if you're heading to the Ozarks, check out Eureka Springs mm-hmm. and, and uh yeah. We'll, we'll include the information so you can call and make a reservation if you want. I love it. I love it. Well, Norman Baker again Going back out to my friends, Kurt and Annette, <laughs> please know that I only talked about the good parts of yes. Norman for yes. you. You're, you're, you're not a bad person. I know, we, I know. we love your energy and we want it. And here's another thing, too. Yeah. I think it's um, back then when you hear somebody dropping out of school in 10th grade, you... Uh, you just, you can't imagine that in today's no, day and age. Yeah. We can't imagine somebody dropping out of school. Well, we can, maybe. But at the end of the day, especially... But in, they're not running a hospital. Right. Here in the Midwest, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting I that... I hope they aren't. <laughs> this, I think this dropping out of school happened more than we anticipated. Mm-hmm. Because I, if I recall, my... And my mom can confirm this for me. But my mother's parents, my grandmother didn't go past eighth grade, mm-hmm. and my grandfather didn't go past fifth grade. My grandfather, I believe, didn't go past seventh grade because he needed to work on the yes, farm. Yes, exactly, and that's why they needed mm-hmm. him to work on the farm. So it wasn't that big a deal. And he became then. a very successful farmer and, mm-hmm. and uh, businessman, but 
Um, yeah. You know, so if you're listening and you're in school, you're like, well, shit, I can quit school. I don't need to. No, we're not Times that. are different. It just is amazing <laughs> of back then how many people did do that because they needed to help out, right? Yeah. I'm going to show Gail here, and we'll put it on on our um, website and on Facebook and Instagram, the pictures of the Crescent Hotel. Oh, shit. Okay. Yes. Oh, whoa. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so guys, let me just explain that this looks like, of course, that 1920s. First of all, I love historic homes, historic buildings. Uh, a lot of all my homes, except the one I'm living in now, and one other were historic homes. Oh. I am in love. So, first of all, this is not a hotel that you're thinking of. Imagine those, are they called turrets? turrets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, imagine there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine turrets. Must have been why Lulu Tunis called it the castle in the air. It truly is. It looks like a castle. And I would love to stay there at a hospital. I mean, these, some of these rooms have walkout patios, you can tell. I would definitely love to stay at this hospital. But as a guest at the hotel now versus uh, under doc, under the non-Dr. Baker's uh, treatment plan. My husband oh, guys, and I wait till you see what? this house You're oh, or this hospital or this yeah. hotel. hotel. You got to go visit it. I know. Well, Brian, my husband and I were talking about it yesterday, and he says, there is no way we're going to go visit that. He goes... He goes, you, meaning me, you will see something. They're going to go, hey, let's go home with them. We don't we don't need anything brought here. Oh, we don't need Annie, anything attaching itself to imagine me. Imagine if you and I went there. Audience, again, here's well, that would your be choice. Fun. You need to vote. Should Annie and I travel to go to this hotel and, and record at night? And podcast at night. <laughs> And interview the lady who knows this Dr. Baker the most, maybe the hotel owners. Yes. What's I need you, again, yes. we would love a little more active. We see more and more of you follow us every week and like us every week. That's so awesome. And we so appreciate you sharing. Anytime yeah. you can share our podcast, whether it's on uh, just verbally telling another friend or it's on social media, we so love and appreciate that. Yes, we do. So, just, just, It's a little click. Absolutely. So Doesn't take much effort. I'm telling you. Let us know. Do you yeah. want us to go to this hotel? Road trip might be in our future. I know. Road trip podcast. So yes, All and right. I want to take a video of those buzzards flying around above the hotel. Oh yeah, because I, th this I, I saw an article where scientists had no explanation. They said, well, there's probably a, something dead back there. Nope, no dead carcasses of deer, whatever. The buzzards just circle above the hotel. Nah, 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 nah. I want to. So I love amazing. birds. Well, I think that's a fact. And if for anybody who's not noticed, if you go to our website, hello, it's birds. Birds. All right. Oh, well, on. Annie, that was the naked truth. That was something, another a link or another correlation between an Iowan and something creepy. Something creepy. Well, everyone, thanks again for listening. We yeah. so appreciate you. Remember to hit that subscribe button. Yes, please da, da, do. Da, 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 da. Hit the subscribe <laughs> button. I'm wearing, I'm rubbing off on you because I can't talk today. And it costs either. nothing. Yeah. Remember, hit subscribe right. and you don't even have to ever listen again. Tell your friends. Absolutely. <laughs> Spread the word. Bye, everyone. Bye. Love you. Thanks again so much for joining us, everyone. Be sure to stay connected with us on social media at both Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram is Heroes Zeros Podcast and Facebook Heroes and Zeros, a true crime podcast. And you can listen to our podcast episode or support or donate money to us and you can send us your stories and just a lot more at our website which is 
Heroes and Zeros True Crime.com. Again, that's Heroes and Zeros True Crime.com. And you can email us also at Heroes to Zeros and More. That's the number two, Heroes to Zeros and More at gmail.com. Exactly. And you can also support us at our Patreon site now, which is patreon.com slash heroes zeros. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.